Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right. Good morning, church. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. And uh, again, just want to reiterate, happy Mother's Day. Um, And I know, like Josh said, that could be a day that is great for some and sad for others. Um, Great for some who have phenomenal mothers, who have loved them and cherished them and um, and have really taken care of them their entire life. Um, And then others who have had mothers who um, maybe were just there, but not necessarily as engaged in your life. Um, And so we know that this can be an interesting Sunday um, just in kind of our society in celebrating mothers. And so we want to make sure that um, from a church um, that we're always pursuing and, and being intentional with anybody and everybody that can be affected, whether good or or negative, um, a, a, a among this day. Same thing with Father Days coming up in June. Uh, we, we just want to be intentional with that. And so, again, we, we just want to say that we love you, we care for you, and we appreciate every uh, woman in here, as Josh said, that has a heartbeat. And so um, we love you guys, gals. Um, so anyways, jumping into John chapter 15. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 15 today. Uh, we are at the beginning of our new series called Abide, uh, where we are going to be spending three months specifically in John chapter 15 and looking at this relationship between uh, Jesus and us when it's vine and branches. What does it mean for us to abide in him and to have him abide in us? Uh, because the reality is, and again, I'm going to say this over and over, um, but we're walking through this text because one of the probably one of the greatest struggles we face on a daily basis is abiding in Christ. Um, every single one of us in this room would say, if we're in relationship with Christ, we would say we want to spend more time with him. We want to experience him in a deeper level, in a deeper way. We, we want to read more. We want to study more. We want to pray more. We want to interact with Christ more. Yet also every single one of us would say we don't do it enough. Like we, that, that it's not as engaging as we feel that it should be. Um, and a lot of that would be then the distraction of, well, it's because I'm busy, it's because I've got a job, it's because I just recently got married, it's because I have kids at home, it's because X, Y, and Z, we tend to come up with excuses for why we're not able to engage Christ um, in an intimate way, that we're not able to um, be in relationship with Him as we abide in Him through Scripture, through prayer, through, um, through interacting with others who spur us on to love Him and to see Him and to treasure Him. And so it's really easy for us to do that. And, and my thing in this series is not for us to say, what do I need to get rid of in my life in order to create space for Jesus? Um, because that's, that's, that's not the reality. It's not, okay, I work 40 hours a week. Let me drop to 30 hours a week so that I can give 10 more hours to Jesus. It, it's not necessarily just um, making people feel guilty for watching TV and, and when I could be using that time to spend it with Christ. It's, it's not what can you give up in order to spend time with Him, even though that can be absolutely beneficial because there's probably some of us in this room who give a little bit more time to things that we could give up. But the reality is, is that every single one of us are busy. 
And, and the goal is to not get unbusy so that I have time freed up for Christ. But rather the goal is amidst the busyness of my life, amidst the daily strains that are on me to go to work, to then run to a meeting, to then cook dinner, to then spend time with my spouse, to then X, Y, and Z, to do homework or whatever it is that you're doing to say, Amidst those times, how can I abide in Christ, knowing that I'm not necessarily going to be able to free up my already busy schedule? Because that's the reality. As soon as you free it up, then something else is going to come in. As soon as you create some space, you're going to move into another life phase in which it's going to, to add even that much more time and energy and resources that you have to devote to whatever it is in your life. And so our thing is not busyness is bad. No, our reality is, is busyness is, is part of our society. It's part of the structure of, of our life. And so it's, it's, it's rather how can we find rest amidst the busyness because we're abiding in Christ. Because daily, hourly, second by second, we're able to have kind of checkpoints that we put in our life that keep us attached to Christ, that keep us abiding in him, keep us seeing him on a daily basis. And so last week, uh, we laid the foundation for what has to take place for someone to be able to abide in Jesus. And really what I said was three things have to happen before we can begin abiding in Jesus. And this kind of three legs, we looked at it like a tripod. One of the first legs was Jesus has to be a part of it. Like Jesus has to be there. As we see in the chapter before John 15, Jesus kind of lays the foundation when he says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. Everyone's desire is to dwell with the Father, is to reside with the Father, is to be where the Father is. That's the design, that's the, 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 the desire he's placed on our heart as people. We're longing for that place. We see David say that over and over and over again in the Psalms, how I dwell. Well, or, or how I long to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's where I want to be. And Jesus is saying the way to get there is me. The way to get there is through me. You, you can't get to the Father without being in me and me being in you. And so the first leg is it's got to be Jesus. There's nothing else that we can look for in life to get us to the Father without it first starting with Jesus. And then the second leg was salvation. We've got to trust in him. We've got to believe in him. We've got to come into relationship with Christ. No one gets to the Father except being in relationship with Jesus. And so, so not only is Jesus a part of it, but it's not, we have to actually be in relationship with him. We can't just devote ourselves to doing the Christian thing because we're following Jesus in the sense of he was a good teacher. He had some good teachings. He did some good things. And so we're going to follow after his kind of model of life and hope that that will bring us to the father eventually. No, no, no. It's also we follow and trust him, but we're in relationship with him. We're in union with him. And the way that that happens is by us believing in him for salvation, us receiving forgiveness for our sins, our past, present, and future. The things that, um, that keep us from God are our sins. Jesus has to come in and remove so that we can then be in God, so that we can be in relationship with him. And those first two legs are really God's pursuit of us. That has us sitting, doing absolutely nothing. 
That is God's pursuit of us, him sending Jesus to us in his life and his death and his resurrection, his pursuit of us. And the third leg is that we actually see that that then produces within us a response. It produces within us a pursuit back to him. And the reason why we know that it, it creates within us a pursuit that comes back to him is what we see in Jeremiah 32, 40, where God tells Jeremiah regarding the covenant that he's going to establish. He says this, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. That's God's pursuit of us. I'm not going to turn away from doing good to them. I'm going to send Jesus. And after Jesus, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit that's going to be the helper for us. He says, then I will put the fear of me in their hearts. That's salvation. God is planting within us a new heart that then goes on to say that they may not turn from me. So this new heart that comes in because Jesus pursues us and then Jesus then gives us this new heart that is salvation. This new heart stirs up affections within us that cause us to then pursue him rather than turn away from him. This new heart stirs up within us a pursuit that we want to delight in him. We want to be um, in glad submission to the father. And what that looks like from what we covered last week in John chapter 14 are two primary things. He says, ask whatever you wish in my name and I will do it for you. That creates a prayer life that we now have with the Lord in which we can come to him and make requests because of this, this heart that we have. We now want to pursue him and be in communication with him and say, Lord, here's, here's what I'm going through in life. Here's what I'm struggling with in life. Here's where I want to see you more. Here's where I want to treasure you more. Here's some things that are going on that I would love for you to provide for me to be able to live out this life to glorify and honor you. And so there's a prayer life that's established. And then also in this pursuit is um, I keep my commandments. If you abide in me, you will keep my commandments. And so there's a, um, a desire to be obedient to God's word, although we know it's going to be imperfectly executed. But this heart that he gives us is a desire to want to pursue him by being obedient to his word, by seeing Jesus, how did you love others? How did you pursue others? How did you interact with those who were lost around you? How did you interact with those who were in the family, those who were disciples of yours? How did you interact with them? How did you serve them? So there's a desire for us to be obedient to the way Jesus loved others and the way Jesus loved the Father. And we're gonna be seeing that throughout John chapter 15. But those things have to happen. Jesus has to be a part of it. Salvation has to be a part of it. And because of that, it then produces within us a response, a pursuit to be obedient to his word and to be in communication with him. And those things, when they happen, produce a life of abiding with Christ, which then produces fruit. So the first kind of laying the foundation, us pursuing him in prayer and us pursuing him in scripture in reading and studying and meditating on the word of God doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to immediately produce fruit in your life. Like just because I open up the word and I go to the word and I begin reading it and it's gonna reveal imperfections in my life, it's gonna reveal things that I should come and confess to the Lord does not mean that it's immediately going to produce fruit. That's where we tend to go is I come into church service in order to receive instruction so that I bear fruit when I leave from this place. 
It's not going to be immediate. This is going to be a lifelong process of abiding in the vine so that the branches will bear fruit. And it's up to God when those branches ultimately bear fruit. But what's on us as far as our responsibility is that we're connected connected by first saying that he pursued us. And then the, the third leg is kind of the proof that he's actually pursued us. We're then in response, pursuing him in prayer and in the word of God. And so it, because it does involve those two things, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't involve other two things, it's bare minimum. It involves those two things because it involves those. We're going to start off with that. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to read John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17 together. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your pursuit of us. We thank you that we have this opportunity to, to gather together as believers, as saints, in order to receive your son, Jesus, in order to receive your grace, in order to receive your Holy Spirit working within our heart and within our minds to enlighten us, to be able to understand your scripture, to be able to understand your will, to be able to understand what it is that you're wanting to accomplish for us to be in an abiding relationship with you. And so, Father, we know, we know that being in a, an abiding relationship with you not only pleases you, but brings glory and honor to you. And in that place, it also provides for us the utmost joy that we are so longing for. God, we're not going to find it in this world. We're only going to find it by abiding in Christ and being able to see you. And so, Father, don't keep yourself from us today. Father, open up our hearts, open up our minds to be able to see you, to be able to treasure you, and in turn be transformed by you. So, God, we love you, and we ask these things in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, John chapter 15. Uh, if you get your Bibles, like I said, open up there, John 15. Um, we're going to be doing this every single week because, again, I, as I challenged last week, I want us over the next, these next three months um, to have this passage memorized. Um, John 15, 1 through 17. And just like I said last week, the, the way in which I'm kind of uh, grow in my memorization of Scripture is just by reading it over and over and over and over again so that I'm able to see kind of the overall theme of the story. And then once I see the overall theme, I'm able to then dive in to see the details that are going on within the story. And the more I see those details in the story, the more it grabs hold of my heart and my mind for memorization. I remember what it is that's being said here. And so some of you might be more wired to be like, no, nope, I got to break this down into 17 different three by five flashcards. And then I'm going to just churn them out one after another. That's the way my wife is wired. Um, that's not the way I'm wired. So do whatever works for you. Um, but over these three months as a church collectively, we're going to read this passage, John 15, 1 through 17, together so that it'll become more and more and more familiar with you. And so um, if you got the Bibles, it'll be there in front of you. I'll be reading from the ESV um, so that, you know, we're kind of together in that. And it'll also be up on the screen. And so follow along with me. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the fruit or the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, today we're going to be covering just the first verse, John 15, 1. Um, two phrases that, that Jesus uses here as he begins to describe sort of this metaphor of what it means to be in relationship with him. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And so I'm going to first kind of, this message is broken down in two different phrases here. The first one is, I am the true vine. And so what does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? I'm going to try to explain it by, by virtue of its value. If such a thing were possible, that one could be damned for loving God and also loving perishing people enough to be damned for them, if such a thing could be, then Paul said it in Romans 9.3. This is what he says he would be willing to do. He would be willing to be accursed and cut off from Christ. That's in the Greek anathema apo to Christu. In Greek, cursed away from Christ. So Paul's idea of, of what it means to be in the vine, he expresses it in the opposite value. He says, because of, I am, because of my interaction with Christ, because of my union with Christ and, and my experience with it, for him to look around at his countrymen in, in Romans 9.3 and see them be detached from Christ, to be apart from Christ, Paul would be willing, because of his experience with Christ, be willing to be cut off if that meant they were to be grafted in. For that meant to be that they were to be brought in and connected to Jesus. And so what he's saying is that's the worst thing that I could possibly imagine 
in all of my life, in all of my experience, the worst thing that could, be ha- that could happen would be to be cut off from Christ, to be apart from Christ, to not be in relationship with Christ. And so with that means that the greatest thing is to be in Christ. The greatest thing that we would ever be able to experience to be attached to the true vine, not cut off, but attached to enjoy union with Christ. When this is fully understood, nothing is greater experientially and nothing is greater theologically. When we experience in Christ, there's nothing else that the world would be able to pull us away from. There's nothing else that the world could offer that would tell us that it's greater experientially than being in Christ. To Paul, that's the true vine. To Paul, that's the value of what it means to abide in Christ. You only value something to the degree of what you'd be willing to pay for it. Like how many of you would be willing to pay $10 for a bottle of water? Right now, you're thinking, I'm not gonna pay $10 for a bottle of water. But what if you were to go three days without drinking anything? And then someone put a bottle of water in front of you and said, would you pay $10 for it? What if you were in the desert for three days without anything to drink and someone put a bottle of water in front of you and said, how much are you willing to pay for it? I mean, at that point, like you're, whatever's in my bank account, just give me the bottle of water. So whatever you're willing to pay for, it shows the value that you hold on it. And so, so Paul experiencing life with Jesus and then seeing others cut off from it, he's almost willing to pay what he's experienced in order for others to be brought in to experience it. As elsewhere in this gospel, true means genuine. Jesus is the final real vine as compared to Israel. Israel was a type or a foreshadowing of the reality. Israel was called God's vine or vineyard in the Old Testament. We see this in Psalm 80 and also in Jeremiah 2. And I'm going to read it here. Psalm chapter 80 verses 8 through 16. It says this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Here he's talking about Israel being the first type of vine that, that God planted within the, uh, or amongst the nations to be a light amongst the nations. He's basically planted Israel to be obedient to God so that, so that they would be an example to the rest of the nations of what it would look like to flourish in relationship with God. That was, that was Israel's entire plan, entire design was to be a nation that would be an example to the nations around them of what it meant to be in relationship with God. 
so that when the rest of the nations were to come into Israel and look at Israel, they would say, what is it that makes your nation flourish? What is it that makes your nation beautiful? What is it that makes your nation fruitful and continue to expand and continue to have power and continue to have authority and continue to have beautiful vineyards and beautiful families and beautiful societies and perfect government. Like, like what is it? And Israel would have said, it's God. It's a relationship with God that we have. But we ultimately see that it looks as though Israel begins to lament as if the father begins to neglect the vine. But what we see in Jeremiah 2, 21, it's, Quite the opposite. He says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed, because he came from God. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And so what we actually see here is, is not the apparent neglect of the vine dresser to Israel, but in reality, the Lord had not neglected Israel, but had allowed the nation to reap the destruction it had sown in its disobedience to God. Ultimately, Israel, because they were a nation among nations, because they were a great nation, turned to themselves and said, look how awesome we are. They turned to themselves and said, look what, what we've done. And God basically turned them over and said, you'll reap what you sow. You'll reap this wild vine that, that you're now beginning to, to spurt out. And I totally can understand that now with having a wild vine at home in the name of Ezra. Like we want him to be a certain way, but he just runs around on his own. Ezra, do this. No, I'm going to go do this. Ezra, throw this away. Don't bring the trash out of the trash can. We put the trash in the trash can. Like I understand what it means to have a wild vine. And this is what Israel was. And so this is why Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, because he's coming in to be the ultimate vine rather than just a type of vine of like what Israel was. This reference that Israel gives to this son of man, this right hand that God has planted within Israel is actually serves two purposes. For one, it shows Israel longing for a king to come in and fix the situation. But what we ultimately know with that is they were looking for an earthly king. They were looking for Saul. They were looking for David. They were looking for a man to come in and solve their problems. And what we also see is that in this is that the, the son of man, the actual true one at the right hand is Jesus himself. God ultimately sending Christ to be the true vine that when we're connected to the vine, we live a life that flourishes. But when we trust in our own plans, when we trust in our own wild vine, we'll ultimately reap destruction. We'll ultimately reap what we sow by trusting in ourselves rather than him. Israel's judged for that. They're judged for not bearing fruit while Jesus is and does what Israel signified. They were meant to be a light to the other nations, but failed to do so. And God then sends Jesus to establish a new nation. He establishes a chosen race. He establishes a people who are marked by the gospel, which is why our name is the district church. 
We are a community within the city that's marked by the gospel. We are a community of people that are meant to represent what Israel should have represented, but couldn't because of their detachment from Christ. But now because we have been brought into relationship with Christ and are attached to the vine, we as a church should begin to reflect to the community around us what it means to be in connection to the Father what it means to be in relation to the Father, what it means to, to drink from the nutrients that are flowing from the Trinity that are coming to us, that are dwelling within us to ultimately produce out of us the design for society that God ordained, the design for society that God orchestrated and that God ultimately planned and established for society to, func to, to function. The, the, the earth, the society and culture around us will never see that if the church is not abiding in Christ. If the church individually, I'm being saying by us, if we're not abiding in Christ, then the church will never be effective in advancing the gospel. We can't program and do church. And, I, and, and some would say, but I mean, I feel like there's a lot of churches who do program some really great things and it looks like they're doing some awesome things in the community. Like guys, uh, attracting people to an organization that's playing the part of church will not hold up in the long haul. It won't. That's exactly what Israel was. Look what God's done. But now let's then turn that to begin trying to attract people to what we manage. And it never works out well. It never works out well. I have friends who are a part of, and, and both small and large church can do this. Like we could run just as astray being 40 people than a church running 4,000 people. But I have friends that are in ministry that are a part of churches who say, yeah, every single week, our focus is how creative can we be to continue attracting people rather than being connected to the vine and just following and trusting where the vine is going to grow so that the vine is ultimately going within a city and planting roots and establishing new relationships with people and bringing them into a relationship with Christ by sharing and proclaiming the gospel with them. And so that's something that we need to check ourselves with all the time is individually, are we abiding in the vine? Because if we're not abiding in the vine, if we're not abiding in Christ, then we're immediately abiding in ourselves. We're immediately abiding in an organization. We're abiding in an institution. We're abiding in something else other than Christ. And if we're not abiding in Christ, we don't know where to go. We don't know who to talk to. We don't know how to talk to someone. We don't know how to love. We don't know how to serve. We don't know how to do things except try to exercise them out of our own strengths. Then it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. You will only frustrate people more by trying to offer them something that you think you can offer them rather than offering them what Christ can give them by bringing them into the vine, giving them the true nutrients that they're actually longing for in our society. He also says something in this, this phrase, I am the true vine. He gives that phrase, I am. 
This is actually the last of the I am statements that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. He says it seven times throughout the Gospel of John, I am. And this actually alludes back to um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. and is an implicit claim to his deity. In the Exodus story, God tells Moses, when Moses asked the question, you, you want me to go to the people, you want me to lead them, but who do I, who do I say to them sent me? Who do I tell them's given me this charge? And God looks at Moses and tells them, or says to him, tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. Jesus is claiming the same phrase, the same self-identifying deity that God used to Moses to lead people is the same phrase that Jesus is saying in order to connect people. I am. There's a lot of names that are given throughout the Old Testament, names given throughout the New Testament um, about God that usually are prescribed to something that has to do with his character or nature. This is the one name given to God that is all inclusive. It includes everything. I am means I'm God past, I'm God present, I'm God future, I am am means that I can never change from being who I am. I am God now. I am God tomorrow. I am God in your pain. I am God in your celebrations. I am God in your need. I am in God. I I am God when you are in much. I am. I am the true vine. The true vine is God himself. And so we're connected to that. And the only way we know we're connected to that is what we talked about last week. So Jesus is saying, as God, I'm the source for all connection, union, and interaction between man and God. For you to receive me, you have to be attached to me. So Jesus is the true vine. And then he goes on to say in the second half of the verse, and my father is the vine dresser. The preceding chapter ends like this, John 14, 31. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. In other words, Jesus puts his entire ministry, especially these final saving hours, he puts his entire ministry under the command of his Father. Jesus is saying, anything that I'm doing, I'm doing it in submission to the Father. I'm doing it because the Father is the one who wants this done. I do as the Father's commanded me. The Father's overseeing this whole operation. Jesus will give his life. Jesus will become the bread of life, the water of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And all of that is because the Father is the one saying, this is what I want to happen. This is what I'm planning. This is what I'm orchestrating. He's seeing to it that the vine will bear all the living fruit that the Father intends for it to bear. And so Jesus is is drawing here an interaction between the vine dresser and the vine and the vine and the branches. And so this is a metaphor that Jesus uses. However, metaphors are limited. Like there's nothing, like how many times have y'all heard different illustrations for the Trinity that just don't hold up, right? Like there's people have used the apple kind of metaphor where there's like the, the, the skin layer, then there's the 
kind of apple part that you eat. And then there's the seeds on the inside. People have used eggs where there's like the protection, the shell, and then there's the yolk. And then there's the, the white part of the egg. And it, like people have used a lot of different metaphors or illustrations for the Trinity. And the reality is, is they don't hold up. Like there's, there's a lot of things that we try to use in society to explain God um, that are tangible things that are trying to explain an intangible God. And so metaphors are limited. And so this is another one of those metaphors that even though Jesus is using it is limited if we were to just look at it for face value. And here's what I mean by that. In John 15 and verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And so there's this idea of we are to abide in Christ as Christ is abiding in the father. And so why wouldn't he just start with verse five, which says, abide, I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me as I abide in the father. Why not just start there? You are the branches, I am the vine, abide in me as I abide in my father. As if there's the, the same type of relationship between branches and vine as the relationship of vine and vine dresser. But that actually is not what's happening here. We are abiding in Jesus as Jesus is abiding in the Father, but the way the branches relate to the vine are different than the way the vine relates to the vine dresser. And here's what I mean. The vine dresser's doing things to the branches that he does not do to the vine. There's a difference in the relation here. And this is why I believe Jesus is pointing out the fact that the father is the vine dresser. Because if the relation was exactly the same, us to Jesus as Jesus to the father, if it was exactly the same, then he wouldn't have to point out the fact that the father has a different role here. That the father is actually the vine dresser. He could have just said, I'm the vine and the father it, it does exactly what the vine does. And that's just push nutrients out to the branches but there's something else that the vine dresser is doing. And it's what we see in verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, my father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, the vine, the vine dresser, prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the reason Jesus built into this metaphor, not just vine and branches, he and the disciples, but also vine and vine dresser, he and his father, is that there are two things that the father does that are important for us to know as we abide in the vine and get our life and power from the vine. One is that God takes away fruitless branches. And the other is that God prunes fruitful branches. He cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. He destroys and he disciplines. As Jesus said in another place, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So what do you mean that he takes away fruitless branches? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that's what we'll cover next week. So you just have to come back for it. But the thing that's going on here is the vine dresser's role is to not only be connected and tending to the vine, but is to be actively pruning fruitful branches and cutting off fruitless branches. Does he do that with Jesus? No. 
Jesus doesn't have anything that's fruitless in him. It's, he's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have any bad fruit. So he points out the fact that there's a vine dresser involved in the vine and branches because we need to see that in our life, it is not just us abiding in Jesus and following and trusting Jesus, but we are also abiding through Jesus to a vine dresser who is interacting with us daily to prune us, to cut things away in our life in order to make us more and more like Jesus himself. There's an interaction going on between us and the vine, but also us and the vine dresser that he's tending to us that he's just like a doctor with a scalpel has to cut you open, has to wound you in order to ultimately heal you. The vine dresser is doing the same thing with us. As fruitful branches, he's pruning us. He's pruning us. The way that I want to conclude this is I want to give you a, a story of a guy named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission and under God was responsible in the mid-19th century um, for sending out um, more than a hundred missionaries into China's interior. Not many people have done this uh, up to this point, but he was training missionaries and he was sending them into China's interior in order to spread the gospel. And in 1869, when he was 37 years old, he said he entered into a new phase of life. He entered into a new understanding of what it means to be more satisfied in an experiential relationship with Christ. He said he had kind of been operating his life through Christianity professionally, but not personally. And so he entered into this new, this new idea of what it means to abide in Christ. And so his son, Frederick Howard Taylor, wrote this in 1932. Hudson Taylor died in 1905. And he said this regarding his father. Here is a man almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters, any one of which might contain news of death, of lack of funds, of riots, or serious trouble. Yet all were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ has risen for peace, has power for calm, or his power for calm. Dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources, and this he did by an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it save the scriptural expression in God. He was in God all the time and God in him. It was that true abiding of John 15. What Frederick Howard Taylor was saying of his father was that amidst the most horrendous circumstances that you could imagine, from missionaries jumping into China where it was ruthless in persecution towards Christians. He said the stories that would come out of there that you would think would shake and rattle any person to their core, 
that would cause them great anxiety and stress, that would cause them great fear. He says, anytime I talked to my father, he was smooth, he was calm, he was peaceful, he had a certain tranquility about himself. And he said the only reason for it was he had experienced what it meant to truly abide in Christ. He'd experienced what it meant to, to live John 15 personally. To not just know it, yeah, we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. But he said to actually walk in it daily. He said when you're connected to the vine in that way, your perception of everything else doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because when Christ is your all, when Christ is sufficient because you're drawing from the vine all the nutrients that you need to find peace and to find satisfaction and to be able to find love and to, and to feel acceptance, then all of a sudden now you're completely free to the point that you don't need to draw any nutrients from anybody else. Like it actually frees us in our relationships when we see Christ as being all sufficient, when we see him as the vine, rather than attaching ourselves to our spouses, to our kids, to our coworkers, to our bosses, to whoever it is that we interact with, if we attach ourselves to them and say, I've got to draw nutrients from you, I've got to draw acceptance from you, I've got to draw satisfaction from you, we put on them a burden that is too great for them to bear. And they're never meant to bear that. And so when we're abiding in Christ, Kelsey is free to love me as my wife without me ever expecting her to do it. And so now it begins, this, it begins to be this overwhelming sense of gratitude that I experience from Kelsey because I see her loving me out of freedom rather than loving me out of obligation. I don't have to expect Ezra to be the perfect child because I'm drawing my, my, my identity from God as my father rather than my identity and me being a good father to him. And so now knowing that he's going to frustrate me at times because I'm fully satisfied in Christ, I'm free to give up that frustration and say, it's okay, bud. It's all right that you want to pull all the trash out of the trash can. We'll just put it back in. We're good. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be discipline involved. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be times where I operate out of frustration. But what I know, what I get to rest in is that in those moments when I'm drawing from expectations from others, I get to come back to the vine and say, but wait, I've got a vine that I'm, that I'm trusting in, that I'm abiding in, that I'm, that I'm walking in, that is providing for me all the nutrients that I need all the strength that I need, all the satisfaction that I'm looking for, I get it from Christ and Christ alone. And so I don't need that from you, bud. I don't need that from my wife. I don't need that from you as a church to validate whether or not I preach okay. Because I know ultimately at the end of the day, I'm not the greatest preacher that you're going to be able to experience in the city. I can point you to where they're at. But I know at the end of the day, as long as I'm putting the scripture out there and as long as I'm putting it before you and saying this is what God is doing, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit validates it in the sense that people are coming to him. Not coming to me to say, good job, pastor. 
but going to the Spirit to say, thank you, Spirit, for enlightening my heart to see what you're doing. To see the fact that, as he said in John 14 last week, that he sends us that Spirit of truth, that he sends us that helper to continue pushing us to the vine, to continue connecting us to the vine. We see that in Romans 8. We see that the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. We see that the Spirit is drawing us back to the vine, that is convicting us, hey, don't trust in this, trust in the vine. Come back to Christ. That's where you're going to get your satisfaction. That's where you're going to get your identity. That's where you're going to get your hope that you need. It's not in false type of vines. It's not in, in others that are supposed to foreshadow. Like, yes, husbands are to love our wives like Christ loves the church, but we're not going to be Christ to you. We're not going to be the ultimate satisfaction for you. The goal in that is that we would love you like Christ loves the church because we're connected to the vine. And because we're drawing nutrients from the vine, we're able to love you like Christ loves the church. But as you are also connected to the vine, you're then not expecting us to do it perfectly. But celebrating with us when you see progress, not perfection. Celebrating with us, hey baby, I love the fact that you wrote me a letter that shows me, that, that shows your appreciation for me, that shows that you care about me. That's what it looks like in, in a relationship that have two people abiding in the vine for satisfaction that then frees them to love and pursue one another without any obligation or expectations of the other person doing it perfectly. That's what it means to be gospel-centered, right? Like we talk, like in our vision and mission is, is everything that's gospel centrality, gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered discipleship, gospel-centered multiplication. The only reason why we say that is because we realize that there's a vine that we have to stay connected to in order for, the good new, for it to be good news to you. I can't worship God perfectly without being connected to the vine. I can't disciple others without being connected to the vine. And we're definitely not going to multiply and produce fruit unless we're connected to the vine, bringing nutrients that then ultimately produce fruit. You know, some of you are like, well, what's the fruit? Tell us the fruit. We'll get to the fruit. It'll be in a few weeks. But we got to see what God is doing so that we can rest in seeing what he's doing. And so next week, we're going to talk about what the vine dresser is doing to tend to the vine so that the branches that are connected, that are true branches, fruitful branches, will continue to bear more fruit and multiply our content, our character, our love, the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we have this illustration in scripture that shows what you have done to bring us into a family with you that you've connected us to you, that you've brought us in to be able to drink deeply of your love, of your identity. God, it, it still, to this day, blows my mind when I think about the fact that I'm connected to God. 
that I don't have to go through a sacrificial system, that I don't have to go through a high priest, that I don't have to pray to another priest, that I don't have to pray to former saints, that I don't have to do anything in order to be connected to you other than trusting Christ that he has done it for me. God, that blows my mind. And so I thank you, Lord, that you've done that, that you've pursued us in your son, Jesus, and that you've provided for us salvation. And that in that, you've put within us a heart that delights in you, that desires you, that wants to daily drink from the vine, that wants to daily, hourly, second by second, come to you and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. Lord, I seek you. And we know that he who began a great work in us will see it to completion. We know, God, that we can rest in the fact that you are tending to us and that you are pushing your essence into us. And so thank you, Father. Thank you for your son being the true vine. And thank you for being the vine dresser. May we rest in that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we close out in service, we are going to be partaking of communion. And the reason why we partake of communion is because it's what I've talked about. It's the fact that Christ is the true vine. And because Christ is the true vine, the way that he made that happen was by himself sacrificing himself breaking his body shedding his blood so that we would be removed from our sins and thus making it possible to be connected to the vine because bad branches can't be connected sinners can't be connected and so the only way for us to be connected is to be removed of that sin and we see him take our sin once he's removed it from us and placed it on himself on the cross and is brutally beaten and murdered to the point of death so that we can be brought in. And so we worship him, we thank him by breaking the bread off and dipping it in the juice as a remembrance of him doing this for us, for us. So in reflection, get up as, as you feel and go and partake of communion and worship God in that time. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at